Hey church, good to be with you again. It's time to praise the Lord together. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that it's a communion weekend, so if you don't have any elements handy, would you please pause your device, your television, your phone, your Xbox? I don't know. I'd actually like to know what is the most outlandish device that people watch this on, but that's for another day. Anyway, pause that. Go get yourself some bread. Go get yourself a cup. We're going to serve communion later. Before we do that, we're going to honor the Lord, not only as the sacrificial lamb, but the lion of Judah who reigns and rules over all. Let's sing about him right now. You hold the reins on the sun and the moon. Like horses driven by kings You cover the mountains, the valleys below With the breath of your mighty wings All treasures of wisdom and things to be known Are hidden inside of your head And in this fortunate turn of events Ask me to be your friend. Ask me to be your friend. And you, you are my first, you are my last, you are my
now into a time of communion, but before we do, I want to read to you from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. It says this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When we approach the communion table, we can't do it casually. And, and, and frankly, scripture does not encourage uh, those that do not have a relationship with Christ to take communion because of the seriousness of what it represents. And I was thinking about this scripture earlier today. And I just want to say this to kind of prepare our hearts for communion. We're going to sing one more song and then take together. But if you really look at the story of Christ, whatever injustice uh, there is in the world, whatever injustice there is in your life, uh, Christ has gone deeper into that injustice. He has been deeper into pain. He has been deeper into suffering, deeper into loss. Uh, and he didn't deserve any of it. He's the only one of us that didn't deserve what was coming to him. And that's kind of what makes communion so special is it acknowledges that only the perfect son of God suffering so unjustly was a sacrifice worthy of all of us of everything that's ever happened, everything that will ever happen, every sin that's ever been committed had to be covered by that. Um, so I offer that as a, as a thought, um, just to kind of get your head straight about what it is that we acknowledge when we take the bread and we take the cup. Let's sing together now in preparation. I hear the Savior say Thy strength in small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as Oh, oh, to him I owe. 
crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. So hopefully you have your bread and you have your cup. This represents the body of Christ. As the scripture said, it was broken for you. His body was buried, it was dead, and it was re-knit together and rose on the third day. And we can rise with him. Let us commune. Remember the broken body of Jesus Christ. This unity... This oneness that we are offered with the creator of the universe came at an extreme price because he is perfect and we use our free will to not be perfect. So this cup represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled as a sin offering for everyone that ever lived. Drink and remember him this weekend. Welcome to Agora Bible Fellowship. My name is Doug Flagg. I'm one of the elders here at, at ABF, and we're so excited that you're joining us online today. Just want to share with you a couple quick announcements, but before we do that, I want to remind you that, you know, as you have prayer requests, the easiest way to get them to us, because you don't have a care journal at home, is text any of your prayer requests to 97000. We love reviewing your requests and praying with you. So please send those in. Coming up, we have our 8th Annual Men's Golf Classic on Monday, July 12th. It's going to be at Wood Ranch Country Club. Very tough course. There's still room, so make sure that you uh, go online and enter that. We have the Caneo Valley Meal Program coming up. If you have not been a part of that, I really encourage you to do that. Um, it's coming up on Monday, July 12th, and you could sign up online or visit ABF. Uh, for more information about that, but it's great to see when you get involved with that how giving is a great way to receive and, and you feel great serving others. We also have the Young at Heart Ministry coming up and seniors 65 and up, they're going to be invited to join uh, for a barbecue on Tuesday, July 13th, right here on campus at the well at noon. So look forward to seeing you there. We also like to thank you for your generosity. We appreciate the way you give and the way you support the ministries here at ABF. And you can continue to give online or send a check in the mail. Thanks. And now we'll welcome up Chris Kerner. 
Well, thank you, Doug. Uh, so, uh, man, I, I feel like a lot of you do not know who I am uh, because the last time I spoke, uh, it was in December and that was online only. So the last time I was actually on stage was last July and that feels like forever ago. And there are so many new faces and new families here at ABF, which is really exciting. But I also understand that there's a lot of you that just don't know who I am and it doesn't matter how long I've been here. So I just wanna spend a couple of minutes, uh, a couple of seconds really just to kind of let you know who I am. Uh, my name is uh, Chris Kerner, and uh, I oversee the junior high and high school ministries here. I've been here for eight years. I'm in my ninth year here. Uh, I've been married for over 13 years uh, with uh, uh, my, my wife, Christina, and we have four kids, uh, Caleb, Kennedy, Cameron, and Kinsey. Uh, that's not the order, but uh, Caleb is 12, uh, Kinsey's 10, Cameron's 9, and then uh, Kennedy's 1. And yes, I rehearse that because I often get them uh, mixed up. Uh, but anytime I get to be up here and, and not be necessarily with students and, and be able to speak uh, to you guys, uh, to the adults, it's, it's a real fun privilege. Uh, so continuing in our series, uh, Misquoted and Misunderstood, uh, which was kicked off last week. And Pastor Scott did just a fantastic job really kicking off uh, the series with tackling the verse, money is the root of all evil. And if you missed it, I, I would really encourage you to go back online, uh, go on our website and, and uh, watch that because uh, it's such, such a good one. Uh, but uh, the most misused and misquoted verses in the Bible, uh, you guys know what those are. The, those verses that are on coffee mugs, they're often on t-shirts, they're on bumper stickers, they're on the radio. Those verses that uh, we so often use that, that are in our tool belt of verses uh, that we use in times of, of a need of a reminder, uh, the verses that people love to throw out uh, just so confidently, and it's always with great intention. However, they are often misquoted, uh, misdirected. Uh, they're not even in the right context. And, and the heart of this series is to not knock anyone who, who falls into that or who has done that, because believe me, uh, I have. Uh, but uh, to understand that it is so important that we remember that God's word is God's word. And, and so often we forget that. And, and even take God's word, uh, the scripture, too lightly sometimes. And I think one of the worst things I think we do with verses is to not even finish the whole verse and, and say scripture with the, with the lack of intentionality and care. And it's important to remember that how God's word is read, studied, memorized, and quoted always needs to be of the utmost importance and should be taken very, very seriously. Uh, this morning we are in Psalm 46 that has a very popular and memorable verse. I'm sure you guys all have heard it, have said it. It is, be still and know that I am God. And uh, we're actually going to read the whole passage, all of Psalm 46, uh, to really understand the scope of it, what's kind of going on uh, with it. Uh, we're going to spend some time understanding how uh, it sometimes does get accidentally misused, misspoken, and take a deeper look at the context and meaning behind this very, very well-known verse and why the author wrote in such great detail and in great imagery uh, and with great importance for us to not miss out on some important truths. Uh, but before we get into this passage, let's go ahead and pray. Well, Father, we thank you so much for just a chance to dive into your word, Lord, and we thank you for... Uh, Fourth of July weekend, Lord, we thank you that we get to be with friends and family and celebrate uh, together, Lord. And uh, we thank you for this country. We thank you that we get to come to church and worship you freely, Lord. Uh, I just pray, Lord, that you go before me, Lord, uh, that you uh, speak to us through your uh, passage, through your word, Lord. And we thank you so much uh, for your faithfulness and for your love, Lord. We thank you for this church. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So uh, I remember when I was in grad school, I went to uh, a Master's of Fine Arts program, and uh, this was years ago, and uh, I was in the acting uh, portion, and it was actually one of the top acting conservatories in, in the LA area, actually in the nation, and uh, because I studied in the acting uh, part of it, uh, we had so many, so many lines of dialogue that we had to memorize, often like daily. Uh, it was a three-year program. We were in there Monday through Friday. We had constantly, we had one-act plays, we had TV shows we had to do, we, we had 
just uh, full-length plays, you name it, we had to do it. And because we had so much dialogue that we had to memorize every single day, I would get a little frustrated. I was actually pretty good at memorizing dialogue, but I had this one professor, and she actually is a very well-known professor, and she studied at Yale Drama, and she taught there. And her and I, I remember this one moment, we got kind of frustrated with each other because I was like in this scene, and I missed one word. I changed it, and she was like, caught, and, and I was irritated, and she was like, it's not word perfect. It's not word perfect. And I remember working on TV sets, uh, they have a script supervisor there, and they literally check every single word uh, on the script to make sure that it is word perfect, that the actors are saying what is on the script. And I remember thinking, what is the big deal? Like, so I changed a word, so I changed a phrase. I'm still getting uh, to my objective, I'm still uh, getting to that next beat, that cue. And then the professor told me that I am not the professional storyteller that when I change the word or the phrase, it's a disservice to the production. It's a disservice to the writers. And that the writers know exactly why they use that word or that phrase in that context for that reason and for that purpose. And it kind of stuck with me. So because of that, I, try to, I always try to be letter perfect. I wasn't perfect at that, but it got me thinking, it's the same thing with God's word. It's the same thing with God's word. A couple of things that I've learned uh, over time about God's word is one, everything that God does and say is intentional. It's not there by accident. It's not there uh, by man uh, for a, another reason or for man's purpose uh, and their own objective, but a scripture is God's word. Uh, number two, every word in scripture is placed in context for his desires. Uh, there's always a reason, a purpose, and something for us in God's word Put there from God. Uh, the Bible is a gift to us. Uh, it's a, his primary way to communicate to us. Uh, the Bible is, is a book to, to learn about who he is. It's filled with wisdom, uh, and it helps us grow and deepen our relationship uh, with uh, him. And uh, therefore, we must be careful when we read, study, and use God's word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we're in Psalm 46. You guys should already be there. And in verse 10, the verse is, be still and know that I am God. And this verse has been said in so many ways. I am included in being guilty of, of not using it properly. I've heard uh, different variations. I've heard, uh, be still and know that he's God. Uh, be still and know he's God. Uh, be still and know. Be still, he's God. Uh, be still, know he is God, and so on and, and so on. And I'm not talking necessarily about uh, different translations. Uh, that is different. I want to really just look at the context and who actually is saying these words and why. And here's the thing. Be still and know that I am God. That's only part of the verse. It's not even the full verse, technically. The full verse is this. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. And this verse, it often it gets used by people to tell someone to be still, quiet, and know that he is God. However, it's not a person, a person stating this. If you look at the quotations, it's God speaking to the person, to us. Uh, God says to be still and know that I, first person, that I am God. So as we are about to go into the, the whole Psalm 46, a couple of things about the authorship. Uh, some theologians say that uh, David wrote this psalm, and it's about his victories over the nations. You guys all know David. He was the anointed king. God, uh, God saved him from Saul. Uh, God protected him. God gave him favor. Uh, he was nicknamed man's after, uh, man after God's own heart, which is the coolest nickname ever. Uh, with David's achievements were also many downfalls. And, and it's a story of grace and forgiveness after uh, many terrible choices. Uh, we do know that David wrote uh, about half of the Psalms, uh, and, and that, uh, although, however, uh, many of the Psalms, uh, the authorship is very unclear and unknown. 
Some theologians uh, say that the sons of Korah wrote this psalm, uh, psalm, and their family story is actually found in uh, number 16. It's a fascinating story. I don't have time to necessarily go into all of it, but a couple of things out of that, a little context with the sons of Korah. Uh, Korah raised a rebellion against Moses and Aaron for uh, the right of priesthood uh, with 249 other people, and uh, this caused uh, Moses to summon uh, the group before God and to burn incense. And, and God told Moses, this is where it gets crazy, God told Moses to warn all of the assembly to stay away from Korah and the 249 others. And God physically had the earth open up and God sent fire from heaven. This is the numbers, you should go back and read it. Uh, uh, sent fire from heaven to consume all 250 of them and their possessions. Uh, but their sons were saved. And uh, many suggest that the reason why the sons of Korah were saved was because they were too young to understand and join the rebellion. Uh, after seven generations, uh, God still used the Korahites uh, for many great things. Uh, some family members became the leaders of the choir uh, in the music of David, and some had uh, important jobs uh, at the tabernacle, being uh, custodians and, and doorkeepers. Uh, and then some of, of uh, the generation uh, became expert soldiers in King David's army. So perhaps the psalm is about uh, their family history and what they learned after generations of worshiping the one true God. But here's the thing about the authorship. No matter who wrote it, David or the sons of Korah, no matter who wrote it, it is a testament to God Almighty and his protection of those who follow and serve him. I'm going to say that again. No matter who wrote it, it is a testament to God Almighty and his protection of those who follow and serve him. This testimony states that God is their fortress. This testimony states that they have seen God do the miraculous and even physically move the earth by earthquakes and floods. And, and I think this passage states four unchanging truths that were true thousands of years ago and that are still true uh, today in the year 2021. And the four truths we're going to actually look at uh, today. And the first one is that we should not fear. The second truth is God is with us. The third being be still and know that he is God. Uh, I know that I kind of changed the verse, and that's kind of ironic about the series, but we're just going to go with that. Uh, the third truth is be still and know that he is God. And the fourth truth being that God will be exalted. So we're going to unpack those in a little bit. Uh, but we're going to start at the top of Psalm 46 and verse 1. And the heading of Psalm 46, it says, To the choir master of the sons of Korah. So we see the sons of Korah kind of mentioned there in the heading, which is usually where the author is giving credit, so that's why some of the debates are there. Uh, but we're going to continue on because we know it doesn't matter who the author is. It's a testimony to God. Uh, so verse 1, here we go. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. And real quick, uh, you see Selah used a lot in the Psalms and throughout the Bible. And Selah is, in, in Hebrew, it means to pause and to reflect. So in musical direction, uh, it's telling uh, the people who are singing the, the Psalms, the praises, uh, to pause and to reflect, uh, which is what we are going to do. Uh, so point number one. We already know it is we will not fear. Uh, the author makes a statement that we will not fear. And I think that's because they've seen some stuff. Uh, that's a very bold statement, that we will not fear. They have seen some stuff. They, that their grandparents have seen some stuff. Uh, they have heard the stories, and, and, and they've witnessed uh, the miracles of, of, of God, that the, the chariots, uh, the Egyptian chariots were uh, destroyed by the waters in the Red Sea. Uh, they heard about the manna. They, they, they know what happened to uh, their families in past generations with, with Moses and the continuous miracles. They have seen God do the miraculous. They had witnessed the God of the Old Testament do things that were only things that God could do. And they're stating that no matter what tomorrow brings, which we don't know, no matter what tomorrow brings, 
uh, we know the God that we follow and we serve and that we will not fear. We won't fear because we know God and his faithfulness. That was them. But for us, I don't think we're that confident because I, th- I think we like to have fear. Not necessarily that we like to have fear, but we do have fear, uh, don't we? We, 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 fear, we fear often. How many times do we fear that God isn't going to show up or provide or be faithful at that last moment before that final deadline? Man, and he loves to show up the last second, doesn't he? You look at uh, all through scripture, he shows up the final, final moments. Uh, and, and I think uh, this passage, like we, if anything, we, we need to understand that we need to remember to not fear. I think we need to get this, this confidence in, in our life. We, we need this pep talk every single morning, this pep talk of we will not fear. I will not fear. We need to remember that God has, what God has done in the past so we will not fear for the unknown of tomorrow. Uh, it was years ago, uh, my wife and I, we were married for a couple of years, and a few years, and, and we had our, our third child. Uh, she was a, a baby, and uh, my wife and I, long story short, we, we both lost uh, management positions at the company companies that we were at, and our severance was running out, unemployment was running out, and we just had a hard time kind of figuring out what we were going to do. We knew we wanted to go back to school, but it was a very scary time financially, and uh, I remember um, very clearly, I was very, very fearful of, of how in the world I was going to pay rent. And I remember uh, writing that email uh, that is just like the worst email. It was to our landlord. And uh, I remember writing, starting to type it and saying, I, I need a little, I need some time. I, I need some grace. I, I need to try to figure out how to do this and, and whatnot. And I kid you not, before I sent the email, I remember exactly where I was. Uh, an email from our landlord came to me. And the email stated, uh, Chris, uh, due to personal reasons, I am going to be letting uh, my house uh, be foreclosed on and so on and so on. And because of that, I do not feel right charging you rent. And I remember being like, what? Like that's in, in one, I was curious, like, what does that mean? And, and I didn't prior, I didn't ask. But this is what's so cool about that. Uh, one, the timing of it, and two, I kid you not, three months went by, I didn't have to pay rent. Six months went by, no rent paid. A year went by, no rent paid. And I remember emailing him being like, what's kind of going on? Are we going to have to move or whatnot? A year and a half goes by, and I didn't have to pay rent for a year and a half. And Christine and I were just like, this is crazy. This never happens. Uh, Because of that year and a half, uh, we were able to get our finances uh, in order, and we were able to go back to school and finish our degrees, and it was incredible. Now, that wasn't God moving a literal mountain in our life, but we had fear, and that felt like a mountain in our life. And And God moved it. And uh, it was one of those things where only God can do that because that just doesn't happen. Uh, a year and a half of rent uh, doesn't just happen. Uh, so uh, a mountain that seemed impossible uh, to us, uh, God was able to move out of the way and it kind of set our trajectory of life in a different direction. And uh, again, uh, God loves to wait in the last moment uh, to see if, if our fear and our lack of faith is still there or whatnot, but God completely uh, did the impossible there. So, all right, moving to the second part here, verse four uh, states this, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. His, uh, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. 
So point number two, uh, the second truth, God is with us. Uh, I love the imagery here. It's beautiful imagery here by the psalmist talking about the city of God, uh, which is Zion, uh, Jerusalem, Israel. Uh, The author states that God's presence is in the city, so the city uh, is not in harm's way, uh, that it shall not be moved by earthquakes uh, or by enemies or by floods or whatnot. Uh, And I love the volatility here that is accounted for because we we know history. We we know that that nations rage and and we know that uh, kingdoms rise and they fall by the grace of God. Uh, but what I love here is it, when God speaks, the earth melts. When God speaks, the earth melts. Uh, even back to the Korah's family that we, we studied, uh, when God wants the, the uh, earth to move, uh, he will. Uh, he utters his voice, the earth melts. Uh, just like in Genesis 1, then God said, let there be light, right? His voice is powerful Uh, and meaningful and gives us comfort and peace. And what a reminder to us to want to listen to his voice. I think so many times I'm like, "Eh, I don't want to hear God. Well, why wouldn't I? Like, like scripture says that, that, that he, his voice utters and the earth melts. That that voice that you hear when we pray to him and we communicate is the same voice that, that created the universe. It's powerful. And I love verse seven. What a great reminder that God is with us. Just because we don't see him, just because we are waiting, just because tough circumstances haven't changed, don't think that he isn't there. He's there and he's seeing how you're handling life. Uh, Do you have the faith to know that God is with you? And scripture across the Old Testament and New Testament screams this truth to us that, that God is with us. In Joshua 1.9, it states this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28, it says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Even uh, during Christmas time, right? Uh, we, we talk about Emmanuel. We, we, we sing praises, uh, Christmas uh, songs. Emmanuel, in, in Hebrew, it means God is with us. Do you want to know what confidence in knowing that God is with us always looks like? It looks like my one year old daughter in a stroller. And what I mean by that is uh, just the other day, I was, I was giving her a walk. Uh, she was in her stroller. And uh, giving her a walk after the heat kind of like subsided and uh, I'm pushing the stroller and uh, she is just like having a blast. She's looking at all the trees. She's looking at like the cars moving. She's looking at the sky. She's watching the birds. She's listening to all the sounds. She's seeing the bunnies. And every once in a while, she'll look back at me and she'll kind of like smile and then she'll look back at what she's looking at. But what she doesn't know is that even though I'm watching her, I am constantly on the lookout. I, I'm watching all, all, the, all the cracks and the hazards and then the cars that like to speed by and I like, I'm looking for like our coyotes out or, or uh, you know, what, what strangers are walking around or, or, or whatnot. I, I'm constantly on the lookout for her safety. And there was even this moment where we were kind of going downhill a little bit. And, and if you've pushed a stroller, you, you know what I mean by this, you kind of just like let go and kind of let gravity take it down. And it's not to be unsafe because I have complete control, but just sometimes you just need to rest your hands a little bit. And I was letting the stroller kind of go and I was walking with it. And she was just, she just kept looking at the trees. She kept looking at the things nearby because she had complete trust knowing that her daddy was with her the whole time. She knew that I was with her the whole time. So because of that, she didn't need to keep uh, looking back at me. She didn't need to be in fear because she knew that I was with her. And that's the trust and faith knowing that God, the Lord, is with us. And and I think sometimes we're so focused on on God needing to be with us, uh, with the things that we see physically, the things that come up in life, and and we're not realizing that, that God is directing around obstacles that we do not see. 
that we do not see. Like, like Kennedy, she, didn't, she doesn't see the, the car speeding by necessarily. She doesn't see like the, the loose dogs that are out there every once in a while. She's not seeing the hazards. And God is moving that stroller that we're in around the bumps and the cracks and the hazards of this broken and fractured earth. And if we saw the things that God has had us miss and dodge, man, we would be on our knees daily in worship and in thankfulness uh, to him. So uh, going to this last section, the third part, verse eight states this, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Verse 10, here we go. This is what we've been looking at. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So point number three here, be still and know. I love that this passage repeats uh, at the end that the Lord of hosts is with us. So in any time a word or a phrase is repeated, it's super important. So again, uh, the author wants to make it, makes it clear that, uh, that we need to know that, that the Lord is with us. And again, back to verse 10, notice the quotes. Uh, I believe that the author here, whoever it was, in prayer is hearing God placing these words on his heart that he's communicating to him, saying, be still, be still. So what, what does be still actually mean? Well, what is God actually telling the author here? It still means no movement, no actions, no decisions being made. Still, still like, like with no movement, it's literally, I don't know if you've ever done it, but I've, I've done it. Like, have you actually tried to watch like paint dry? I, I've done it for fun every once in a while. And, and what's crazy is it, it's like everything in time just slows down. Uh, everything gets muted around you. Uh, time goes by super slow and it's super quiet. And uh, that's what still is. There's no movement. There's no action. There's no directives. Time goes by slow. And I think God is telling the author here, and he continues to tell us even today that in the moments of chaos, in moments of uncertainty, in moments of anxiousness, in moments of fear, and when a lack of faith comes, God says, stop, do nothing, and be reminded of who I am. Uh, and this kind of was triggering some memories uh, when, uh, who remembers the fire drills in elementary school? Uh, and uh, I went to an elementary school. You're like, Chris, where are you going with this? I'll get there. Uh, I remember in elementary school, every year, we, we had like the fire uh, men come, and then uh, they would do like the, the stop, drop, and drill, uh, the stop, drop, and roll, uh, and they would do like all these obstacle courses, and, and sometimes they would have like clowns, which were awful, to come and be firemen. And then their main teaching objective was to teach you like if there's a fire what to do and uh, and what you always had to do was stop drop and roll and I remember one year because they would always have volunteers come up and I'm like I know this I hope they pick me and I got to do it and I got to prove that I knew what stop drop and roll meant and uh, so stop drop and roll kind of like has been ingrained in my mind so if there's a fire in the building you want to be next to me because we'll, we'll get out of there but I love this because it says, God says, stop to do nothing, be reminded of who I am. But what I hear is God saying, stop, drop, and know. Stop, drop, and know. And I know some of you are like, oh, that's cheesy. But I actually think it's really important that when life is chaotic, when fear does come and, and the lack of faith appears, God is saying, man, just stop drop on your knees and know that he is God. Stop, drop, and know. God's saying, man, do you not remember who I am? I am the God of the Old Testament. I moved mountains by the earthquakes that I caused. I caused flood, floods of water to wipe out the Egyptian chariots. God says, know that I am God. It's a directive. Verse 10 is a directive. It's a father saying, do you know who I am? Son, daughter, do you know who I am? 
don't forget. In our last point here, at the end of this verse, verse 11, God will be exalted, or at the end of verse 10, definition of exalted is to be raised to the highest of heights, uh, the highest ranking, the superior of all, and we know that God has the highest ranking. No one above him ever, and no one will ever be above him. And we need to know this, that there is nothing that you can do that is going to cause God's plans to not happen. And if that's a reminder that we need, need from, from fears and stuff from last year and going this year, uh, that there's nothing that man can do that's going to stop uh, God's ultimate plans, uh, that's a good reminder. E- even Revelation screams this fact, and, and even that, that Satan in the end will fail, that all knees will bow down. And again, if you look at the sons of Korah and, and, and the family, uh, the opposition against Moses um, but it wasn't going to stop God's ultimate plan. In the New Testament, even the demons recognize who Jesus is and they beg him to be thrown into the pigs. The universe declares the glory of God and he will be exalted forever and ever and ever. Man, imagine if we make God the Lord of our lives and we have him strolling us through life every single day. Imagine the confidence that we would have that God is so good and so faithful and powerful and he is for us. We know this about his majesty, right? We know that he has never ending grace and love, yet we still have moments of fear, moments of a lack of faith and judgment, and we forget what's been repeated in this passage is that he is always with us. He will be exalted. So to wrap up here, man, I would love if we left uh, this time and, and we understood that these reminders, these four truths, that one, that we should not fear. We know the God that we serve. We know that he has a perfect track record. And number two, that God is with us. Even when you don't think he is, he's with us. He's faithful always, and he's directing our lives. And number three, be still and know that he is God. Remember, that's a directive from him. He's saying, be still and know, know that I am God. In moments of chaos, fear, and uncertainty, stop, drop, and know. And the fourth one, God will be exalted. Uh, Nothing will stop God's plan. Uh, When we let him uh, be the driver's seat, uh, the the, the one that's pushing the stroller, uh, the one that's leading our lives, and and we choose to uh, obey and listen to him every single day, uh, he will direct us in the the path that he has for us. And I hope and pray that this morning, uh, this evening, uh, whenever you're listening to this, you remember these four truths, that there's a God out there that loves you, he's got a plan for you, and he is always with you. Well, Father, I just thank you for a chance to, uh, to spend some time diving in your word, Lord. We thank you that uh, every single word in this passage is there on purpose for your uh, reasoning, uh, for your context and your desires, Lord. And we thank you for this uh, first scripture, Lord. We thank you that this is your primary way to communicate to us, Lord. And, and may we want to grow closer to you in reading your word, Lord. We thank you for this love letter that it has been uh, passed down to us, Lord. And we just thank you so much for your love and your mercy and the promise that you are always with us, Lord. And we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. tempest roar we cannot win this fight inside our
Well, it's been so fun uh, kind of going through Psalm 46 with you, and uh, I just hope and pray that you guys have an amazing and safe, happy uh, 4th of July weekend, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. And remember, man, God is with you, and He is for you, and He loves you.